Well, hello, table friends. How are y'all? Man, it has been a while since we've hung out together. Like, there's been so much that's happened. I've grown a beard, uh, or at least long, uh, bigger uh, than I had. Some of you have grown beards, and we had Christmas, and we had New Year's, and we had college football playoffs, and we had NFL playoffs, and we had NBA basketball, and we had NHL hockey, and uh, I'm sure there were other things that were going on. Hamilton is coming to Orlando. Uh, yeah, that got way more uh, applause than I thought that was going to get, but there you go. Hey, there's been a lot that's going on. Uh, there's been a lot that's gone on in the last uh, six weeks or so. Um, uh, plenty, plenty has happened. I, my wife and I just went to Chicago this past weekend because, um, thank you, Jill. Uh, I like cold weather, and we live in Orlando, and um, I mean, it got to 38 the other night, but I like like negative 15. Like that's what I consider to be God-honoring weather. So this past weekend, my wife and I went to Chicago and it was 25 degrees and it was snowing on us. There was a blizzard going through Chicago and I was at my happiest point of 2019. I mean, I'm like, we're the only people in downtown Chicago outside just building snowmen. I'm getting frostbite on my hands. I'm just like, God, you are Lord of all, right? As snow is hitting me. It was just fantastic and amazing. Just so much good went on last weekend. So much has gone on that's so great the last couple of weeks since we've been here. One of the things that happened is uh, Clemson defeated Alabama for the national championship. Um, you may have heard of college football. College football is this sport played where um, only four teams are selected and one of them can never be UCF uh, or Baylor, apparently, uh, because that's how fairness works. Um, but uh, it was really interesting because Clemson won the national championship, and then as is customary, if you guys know this, the winning team gets to go to the White House to meet the president, but here we are on government shutdown, uh, and so typically the president hosts this big meal for the team, and they take pictures, but because of government shutdown, they could not host said meal, and so what our president, who happens to be a billionaire, decided to do is he was like, listen, I got this. Now, you would think that a billionaire president would, and this is no comment on our current political system, I'm saying you just think that a billionaire president would be like steaks, right? Uh, lobster, champagne, whatever. Our president decided to do Burger King, which was a bold move. Uh, and so I think we have a picture of this. Our president, he's right in the White House. There's Burger King and there's McDonald's. And he, he bought all this for the football players. And when people saw it, they were like, this is going to backfire. Like there's no way the team's going to feel respected. On the contrary, these are football players, right? So here's the shot of them. They are like... <laughs> Yeah, they're like, finally, Burger King. So apparently that was, a, that was a really risky bet, but it paid off. But no, I, I, was, I was watching this thing take place, uh, and I was just thinking about us. Because this is representative right here of the way uh, that things work in our country, uh, in, in Orlando, in America. And if you've been here for any amount of time in America, you probably on some level think about this narrative. And it's a pretty well-worn narrative, and it goes something like this. Right? You recruit exclusively the best people you can get. Then they come and work really hard to try to earn something within your organization or team. And occasionally when they have broken bones and broken bodies, they hide it. They pretend like they don't because they want to keep striving. And if they win the prize at the very end, you throw a banquet for them and you celebrate all that they have accomplished. This is what happened with the Clemson football team. They recruited, way over here, the best athletes they could find exclusively. They uh, 
the athletes proceeded then to just work really hard to win games and to improve in their skill positions. Many of them were hurt and uh, broken during the season, but they hit it, they masked it, they played tough, all so that they could win a prize at the very end and uh, go to a banquet and be celebrated. This is the way it works in football every year, no matter what level you're on, whether you're high school, whether you're college, whether you're professionals, there's always exclusive recruiting, working hard, hiding your brokenness, and then celebrating with a banquet at the end. Now, this narrative happens in lots of other areas, too. I have a friend named Adam who's a professional ballet dancer. You may have seen him on Sunday mornings. And Adam tells me that when he was really young, growing up in Tampa, he was, like, easily the best athlete of anybody that he knew. Like, he could jump the highest and run the fastest. And he had this considerable athletic talent. And I was like, okay, so, like, at what point did you go, I have considerable athletic talent? I think the obvious next step is ballet, right? Like, especially in Tampa, Florida, I'm like, did you, not, did you not hear about football? Did you not hear about soccer? Did you not hear about it? He was like, no, no, just I love to dance, and I was extremely athletic, so I went to ballet. So here's what happened with Adam. He was really, really good, and so he was recruited by this ballet company in San Francisco, which was exclusive, only let in the, the best people. He worked really hard to hone his craft to become very good. He even danced with broken feet and with broken parts of his body to perfection and hid it so that he could perform. And every time he did well, they threw a giant party for him celebrating whatever production he was in. That narrative works in ballet. Or maybe some of you have gone to college or maybe you're currently in college and you know that this narrative finds its way in there, right? Schools only recruit the best people to get in. You take this thing called the SAT, and if you don't have good enough scores, you can't get into that certain institution. And so they're very exclusive about who they let in. And you work really, really hard at your schoolwork so that you can get the grades you need to get to pass. And sometimes you're broken and you're hurt, and you need more caffeine, and you're tired at the library at 2 in the morning going, I've made a terrible life decision. I don't know why I'm in college right now. This is awful. But you get past that, and finally you graduate, and someone throws you a party, hopefully because they love you and you just got a college degree, right? Does that sound familiar to anybody in this room? Right? This is the way that life in America and life in Orlando tends to operate on that narrative, exclusively recruit people. They work really hard to earn their way. They occasionally have to hide their brokenness. And at the end, if you do all of that, you get a giant banquet thrown for you. And if you're like me, you maybe see all of this out here through your educational experience, through sports teams, through drama, through dance, through whatever your experience is. And you may think this is just the way it is in reality. And if you think this is the way it is in reality, then you may, like me, mistakenly impose that narrative onto Scripture and think this is just the way it is in church. The kingdom of God is just like the kingdom of earth, and so this is the way it's going to operate. God only recruits the best people into his organization. It's called the church. And so if you're in there, you must be just really special, right? And then you got to work really hard for Jesus, making sure to go to church and obey the rules and make sure you pay your tithe and make sure you do Dave Ramsey and make sure you vote a certain way and make sure you don't speed on I-4 because it makes Jesus cry and all those things, right? And then occasionally you're going to realize that you're a broken person, but the best thing you got to do is you got to cover that up and pretend like everything's all nice. And if you will do all of these things at the very end, maybe someday someone will throw a party for you and they will invite you to come to the table or they'll invite you to a life group because you're good enough and you've earned it and you get to eat some chips and salsa with some other Christians while they go, you know what, that's a really good person. You may, like me, like I've done in my past, think that that's somehow the narrative of the church because it's the narrative in America. But I want to tell you something here today. As we kick off 2019, I was reading the Bible recently, 
And this passage just jumped out at me. And we took our leaders through it the last couple of weeks. And it's a passage we're going to, I think we're real familiar with. But as I read scripture, and as I read this passage, and as I think about the kingdom of heaven that God lives in, as I think about how God wants to bring that kingdom of heaven to earth uh, in and through each and every one of us, I find something radically uh, uh, amazing about this kingdom of heaven. And that is it operates almost in the opposite direction of the way we think uh, things normally work in America. Let me say that again. The kingdom of heaven actually tends to operate in the exact opposite of the way it often works in the kingdom of America, in the kingdom of Orlando. And so as we kick off 2019, here's what I want to make sure we're all real clear on. This is what I hope you guys will get out of tonight's uh, gathering. I hope you will come to see what the kingdom of heaven really is. Because at the table and in this young adult gathering, we're going to organize our culture around that kingdom of heaven. And it's going to influence the way we do the table on Tuesday nights. It's going to influence the way we do life groups. It's going to influence the way we do our city projects as we go out and love our neighbors. It's going to influence the way we live our lives because the kingdom of heaven is so much better than the kingdom of the earth. And so as we go to see what that vision is, I want to invite you to pray with me that God would make us teachable. Would you pray with me here tonight? Jesus, I thank you that what we're a part of here is in many ways a correction to and a perfection of the narrative we often see in reality, in sports, in ballet, in the arts, in our educational system, and maybe for some of us in the families we were raised in that told us achieving is the only way to get ahead. So Jesus, would you give us a clear vision of what this kingdom of heaven is? And by your mercy, would you help us to begin to live that out here today and beyond for your glory and our good and the good of this city that we love, Orlando. It's in your name we pray, amen. If you guys have Bibles or phone apps, you can open or swipe over to Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It'll be on your screens. And here's what Jesus writes, or here's what Luke writes about Jesus. When one of those who reclined at the table... With him heard these things. Now, this is someone who is eating with Jesus. They're having this meal together. Jesus has a table, and people are sitting around it, and they're having a conversation. And when one of those reclined at the table with him heard some things he was teaching, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But this guy said to Jesus, I'm sorry, but Jesus said to this guy, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who have been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. It's the only time in Scripture where FFA is like a legitimate excuse. You're like, sorry, Jesus, I joined FFA, and i got to go examine livestock. I'm out. So just note that for all you FFA people, I saw you all in your jackets. Be cool. Verse 21, so the servant came, uh, oh, I'm sorry, verse 20, and another said, I have a married wife, and therefore I cannot come. And everyone in here who's married is like, seems legitimate, yeah. <laughs> 21, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. 
And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. I want to make four observations here in this text about a kingdom culture. The kind of culture that we want to set here at the table, the kind of culture that's pervasively part of our larger parent organization called First Baptist Orlando. We strive to be a kingdom culture. If this is a relatively new concept for you, that's fine. I'm going to try to explain what this is. But suffice to say, what God wants to do and what his whole program has been since the beginning is he's trying to take that which is the value system of heaven, that which is the ethical system of heaven, that which is the way people treat one another in heaven, and he wants to bring it into earth that we would see it lived out in our daily lives. That everybody who calls themselves a follower of Jesus would learn to live and demonstrate this kingdom culture. They draw a circle around them. They say, I'm going to live this kingdom culture around me, and hopefully... As we bump up against one another, we let this kingdom culture spill out until it influences our relationships and our life groups and our communities and our jobs and everywhere we come and go such that the kingdom of heaven would make its way into the kingdom on earth. So at the table, we're trying to live around this thing called the kingdom of heaven. And this banquet imagery influences a lot of what we do. In fact, our theme for this year, and you'll see people wearing shirts, is banquet for the broken. Why? Because a kingdom culture is a culture that we're going to see is one that's always constantly this banquet table inviting everybody to come in. And broken people come in and they find food and they find fellowship and they find uh, relationships and they find healing and they find everything they need. And so I want us to look at four Uh, realities or four ideas from this kingdom culture, and I'll try to offer some explanation by way of helping us grasp it. Number one, and you can write this down if you're a note taker, kingdom culture begins with a banquet. It begins with a banquet. In American culture, we end with a banquet. We say, hey, listen, if you earn enough, you get a banquet, right? If you earn enough, you can have a party. If you'll just live for one consecutive year, we'll throw you a birthday party at the end of it. We're not going to throw you one when you're born. But if you make it to one, good job, we'll throw you a birthday party. And each subsequent year, we'll throw you a party. But you've got to earn that thing. It's at the very end. The kingdom culture says this, hey, we're throwing a party at the beginning, right? We're doing this thing up front, and we're inviting people to come in. Now, let me just talk about parties for a little bit. Maybe you're like me. And you grew up a little bit uncomfortable with the idea of partying. And I didn't grow up Christian, so I don't have, like, Christian problems with partying. We're like, oh, that's where sinners go, right? Uh, I just, listen, I grew up atheist. If you know my story, I, I, you know, I'd see Christian parties. And I'd be like, oh, that's where Christians go, right? That was me. Uh, but I grew up in East Texas. Besides Brady, anybody else here from East Texas? Oh, shout out, Fergie. Okay. So in East Texas, if you don't know anything about the topography of East, East Texas, like if you weren't on Wikipedia recently and, like, I'm curious what the topography of East Texas is. Uh, East Texas has some hills and some tall pine trees, but they, for whatever reason, have this great deposit of oil. And so what people have done is they've cleared out these fields and they put up oil derricks, uh, and these things are called oil flats. This is what they're called. They're giant fields with an oil derrick in the middle, and it seems like at least 20 people in your high school, their family owns land that is an oil derrick. And so what happens when you get to high school is somebody who owns an oil flat says, yo, we're going to my parents' oil flat tonight. And we're throwing a party, right? And we're going to have beer, right? Because they're 16 and they're still afraid of people knowing that they drink, right? And so that's what happens. And so when I turned 16 and I started getting invited to these parties, here's how this conversation would go for me. They'd be like, hey, Doug, we're throwing a party in an oil flat tonight. You want to come? I'm like, wait, you're going to a place where they're harvesting oil to drink alcohol? 
just something doesn't seem fun about that, right? And they're like, no, no, it's totally fun. We're going to get really drunk, and then it'll be fun. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. You're going to get drunk, and then it'll be fun? It won't be fun before you get drunk? What if I don't want to drink? Will I not have any fun? Will I be the one sober guy around a bunch of drunk people? That doesn't sound fun. And they would be like, you asked too many questions. You're out. And I'm like, ah, right? That was me throughout high school. I just did not understand this concept of a party, right? That people would just kind of congregate and drink beer and have fun. I was like, why don't you drink soda? Why don't you drink water? Why do you have to have this liquid to have fun? I don't get all this stuff. So I, did, I wasn't much of a partier when I was in high school. If you can't tell that from my nerd glasses, I was not much of a partier in high school. And my second reference that I get, my reference point for partying, is when I got to college. I went to Baylor University, sick and bears. And um, uh, at Baylor, everybody is for the most part, like this preppy kid who, or at least pretends to be a preppy kid, and so all the parties are very preppy, and if you understand that idea of preppiness, it's like, you know, pink-colored shirts and, you know, khakis, and oh, this is a great party, pass me that cosmopolitan, right? It's just that kind of thing, right? Uh, and obviously, that's the fraternities talking right there, right? So, but everything was always like this very preppy party, and I'm not very preppy, and so uh, people would invite me to these parties, and I'm like, well, what are you going to do there? We're like, well, you know, we'll, we'll drink some red wine, and we'll, we'll like, note the tannins, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll talk about politics and whatever. And I was like, that doesn't sound fun, right? Like, I don't, it just doesn't sound fun to me. So I'm not much of a partier. Furthermore, um, I've just always had this kind of feeling in my life, and you may know this if you know me, that fun and failure both start out the same way, Right? with the letter F, and it just goes badly from there, right? And so I've just been very worried that if I start having too much fun, then somehow I'm going to end up just a huge failure in life. So anytime someone's like, let's celebrate, I'm like, uh, i got more work to do, right? I just, like, you guys go, you know, you've heard that thing. Maybe, hold on, let me just have to add this moment. In athletics, you hear coaches that talk about this, and it goes something like this. Yeah, you could have fun today. But while you're having fun, your competitor's out there working twice as hard. and He's going to be better than you. And I remember hearing that, and I ran track. So it's not like I was this big football star. It's like some, you know, old coach. It's like, Hankins, if you don't run more, someone's going to outrun you. And I'm like, yes, sir, coach. So I just am constitutionally, in terms of how I'm wired, not someone who wants to have fun because I'm scared that somehow I'm going to miss something and people are going to get ahead of me, and then my life is going to careen out. So I've got the oil flat parties and the preppy parties and this fear of failure, and I just I don't understand how to have fun on most days, right? Some of you are with me. Maybe you're looking at me right now. You're like, I get how to have fun. You're a nerd. And that's okay if you're, that's you right there. That's totally fine. But I want to tell you about something magical that happened when I moved to Chicago in the mid-2000s, right? So I moved for grad school. And again, my wife, one of the when I was going through dating, I had this checklist of things, and if she didn't check all these boxes, she was out. So like on first date, I'm just grilling her. It's like an interview. I'm like, yes. So substitutionary atonement, like you're for it? And she's like, yes. I'm like, okay. Right? That kind of thing. So, but one of the things was, hey, do you like to party? Like, would you consider yourself a party person? And she was like, yeah, I don't really like to party. And I was like, this is going to work out, right? Like <laughs> me and you, we're going to not party together for the rest of life and just be so happy. I was like, do you believe that fun and failure start out the same way? She was like, yes, I do. I was like, yes, this is great. We're going to be fine. So, uh, so we both moved to Chicago. My wife gets this job working at a Christian Lutheran private middle school in the Midwest. Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Nothing says party like a Christian Lutheran middle school, or at least a Christian Lutheran middle school staff, right? And she gets the job. Right as she gets this job, like, I mean, the minute they're like, hey, we want to hire you, they invite her to this party. She's never worked there. She's never done anything. And they're like, hey, I want you to come to the party. It's at the pastor's house. 
And so we knew enough about church by that point to go, okay, cool. Like, we know what to do. Like, okay. So suit and tie. We're not sure if there are going to be, you know, some you know, things going on that are maybe a little Lutheran. So maybe we need a collar on. I don't know what the situation is. Like, I'm reading up on my Martin Luther. I'm like, cool, okay, shorter catechism, good, ready to go. So we show up to this Christian Lutheran middle school faculty and staff party in Chicago, okay? And there's snow everywhere or whatever, and so we open the door and we walk in, and I mean, we, we take two steps in, and there's like the Macarena in the background, and we're like, what is going on? And the principal greets us, and he's like, hey guys, let's go ahead and take your coats. The margarita machine is over here, and over here's the, the beer and the wine, or over here someone's making mixed drinks, we hired a bartender. And Natalie and I looked at each other, and we were like, this is a test. We like wanted to take a step back out. We were like... No, 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 the Lord is, is, is mad at us. I don't know what's going on, right? And so we walked in, and we just kind of were like, okay, listen. So, like, we're not drinking, so let's just kind of mingle. And we would go, and people would just welcome us in, give us a hug. Hey, what's, you don't have a drink? Let's get you a drink. I'm like, no, we're good. We'll take some Coke. And we're like, okay, cool. So they give us some Cokes. So we're like, all right. And we just get ushered from person to person to person to person to person to person. And they're having the best old time. The pastor walks in, and I'm thinking in my mind when the pastor comes in, he's going to be like, oh, no. The principal has done a house party in my house when I didn't look. Kick him out, right? I thought, and he walked in, and he's like, where's the wine? And I was like, oh, my goodness. Lutherans are kind of fun. Like, I don't know what's going on here like this is crazy right and they we just had the best time and over that two-year period we saw something I never thought I would see Christians who drink responsibly and party in a really fun way and it was the first time in my life I got this idea that Christians should party more right I was like these people had a really good time And sure, some of it was motivated by alcohol, but a lot of it was motivated by the fact that they just liked being around each other and they looked for any occasion to celebrate. And here's the thing. No one said, you have to work there for six months before you get invited to this party. They said, come on in. You're part of us. Come on in. Let's celebrate. The kingdom of God, it's a banquet that starts up front. You lead with partying. At the table, one of the things we want to do every week is we just want to party. And there's no conditions for you coming here. You, you want to come in, show up, great, let's party. We're going to celebrate the resurrected lamb. We have life groups that happen all the time. And you know what? It's a party. Come on in. We're going to celebrate every week. The reason we meet regularly, the reason Paul says we don't forsake the gathering together of, uh, of saints is because celebration is good for our soul. And so it's going to be something we're going to do every week. The kingdom is a banquet, and they lead with the banquet. They don't make it something you have to move towards. Number two, two, it includes everyone. It includes everyone. Broken people, I'm sorry, uh, uh, it includes everyone, meaning it includes uh, everybody, meaning everybody gets an invitation, meaning there is no exclusion here. See, the way that the world works is there's, it's very exclusive. We just kind of bring these people in, but what uh, this passage tells us is the kingdom of God's one that invites everyone. If you remember in the passage, there's an invitation that goes out to the first group of people. They all have excuses. Ah, I'm speculating real estate. Ah, I'm looking at oxes, ah, right? Or oxen, whatever that's the plural. Some of you are like, oxes, what is that, right? Uh, hey, I'm getting married. Like, all these excuses go out there. But um, then, secondly, the king says, okay, we'll go out and just invite everybody else to pour the lame, the crippled people on the margin of society, bring them in. And even once they come in, there's still seats left. And he's like, go out and compel people to come in, which in my mind is him going out with like a gun and being like, you 
We got some Lutherans over here with a margarita machine. Let's go. Come on. There's a party over here, and you're going right now. Like he's compelling people to come in. It includes everybody. And here's why this is really important. Uh, because I think for many of us who are here, we invite people to come with us to the table. Maybe you're a first-time guest who's here today. We invite people to come with us to our small groups. We invite people to come with us when we serve in the city. And sometimes people tell us no. And that breaks our heart because we're like, oh. Like, my worth is in my invitation here, and it just really hurts that you said no. Right? Happens to me all the time. I invite people to come with me to church. I'm like, hey, you want to come with me to church? And they're like, no, I don't want to come with you to church. Right? And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. I've let you down. I failed you. Right? And here's the thing. Jesus tells us, hey, guess what? We're going to include everybody in this, but sometimes people don't show up. So don't get disappointed. When you invite people to come with you to the table and they don't come, don't get disappointed. When you invite people to come with you to your life group, don't get disappointed. When you invite people to come serve the city with you, uh, when we go feed homeless later on or when we go do other things, don't, and they say, no, don't get disappointed. When you invite people to come join you in your life, don't get disappointed. Because this, Jesus said this is the way it's going to happen. We invite everyone. Some people show up. Some people don't. And that's okay. That's the kingdom, though. Number three, broken people find a seat at the table. It's the broken people who find the seat at the table. Now, let me talk about this. The people who appear to have it all together, they say no. The poor, the lame, the crippled, the ones who are uh, demonstrably broken, they're the ones who find seats. And there's an important principle here uh, at, at stake with the idea that broken people are the people who find the seat at the table. The thing about being broken is that you're aware of your need, your own need for healing, when you're hungry and someone offers you food, you're like, I'm aware of my need for food, and this person's offering it to me. I'm going to go be there. It's just a very basic thing. But here's the reality, the kind of undertext of this text right here, and that is the Bible says that all of us are broken. Every single human being is broken in some way because of the problem of sin. Human beings are born in the world, and you guys probably know this experientially. You want to do all these really good things. It's January. I'm going to the gym. I'm starting a diet. I'm not going to cuss anymore. I'm only going to watch Netflix four hours a day instead of 24, right? I'm, in some way, shape, or form, I'm going to limit myself because I'm going to try to be better. And January 2nd, you're like, a 24-hour binge of West Wing isn't that bad. And you turn on, and you're like, here we go, Right? You always know what I want to do, I end up not doing. There's something broken in me. There's something compulsive. I can't deal with this. Everyone is broken. The people who give these excuses, however, it's not that they're not broken. It's that for whatever reason, they're blinded from their brokenness. They're unaware of their own brokenness. And so they can't see the offer that's given to them. Do you know people like this? It's not that they're not broken, but they appear to be not broken. They paint themselves up, they, they fix themselves up, they talk pretentiously about things for whatever reason, they're good people, they're bad people, whatever, but for whatever reason, they're just unaware of their brokenness and their need for things. Thus, when an invitation comes to them to, to get what they need, they say no to it, and you're like, why are you self-sabotaging? Like, what's going on? This is something that could heal you. You're like, no, nah, I'm okay, I'm okay. I have these two jars up here, uh, and I'm going to use them as an illustration here. The first one, as you can see, is this kind of nice little mason jar with decorations. Can you guys see this? Right? A little nice mason jar. No cracks, not broken. Just something that's just kind of cool. You probably maybe buy this at, you know, Anthropology or Etsy or something like that. I don't know. This, these are words my wife tells me. She's like, Anthropology. I'm like, cool. I don't know what that is. Right? But apparently, uh, people shop there. Uh, a lot of females do this. Females, do you guys shop at Anthropology? Am I on the right track? Is there a new store? Do I not know anything? I don't know what's going on. I feel nervous now. Am I good? Okay, we're good. Okay, thank you. So, there you go. This one. 
The second one I have here has been cracked and chipped and broken a little bit. It's scratched up. There's just, it's just kind of, I don't know. It's just, I don't think you would buy this in Anthropology or on Etsy or something like that. You, you might just find this in a, you know, in a Goodwill situation or someone would leave it on the side of the street as you're driving through a nice neighborhood in Orlando and you do the whole thing where you pretend like you're not going to stop. You're like, oh, did I blow a tire? Oh, look, a bookshelf, right? And you pick it up and you put it in the back of your car and you kind of drive off. This would be one of those items, right? And um, this is representative of everyone you're going to meet because the reality is, you know, everyone's broken, but this person's aware of it, right? This one has painted themselves up or dress themselves in a certain way, or fix their Instagram profile to make sure that you think that there's nothing bad with them. They, they hide their brokenness like an athlete. They hide their brokenness like a ballerina. They, they, they just constantly posture themselves like they have everything together. And everyone who sees this person goes, I know there's some breaks there, because everyone's broken. But for whatever reason, they're unaware of it, or they're hiding it, or they're too ashamed to admit it. And so they're all painted up. And Jesus says, these are the kind of people who are invited, but they make excuses. And these are the kind of people who are invited second, and they show up because they're aware that they have needs. And then he goes back to these people and says, hey, guys, remember, you're still invited. Broken people are the ones who find the seat at the table. My wife has this saying. Uh, any of you guys ever been to Ikea? Anybody? Who, who hasn't been to Ikea in this room? Anybody? Hasn't ever been to Ikea? Okay, I thought that was the case, right? Listen, if you haven't been to Ikea, you're going to get married at some point, and then you'll go to Ikea a lot, because that's all you do when you get married, right? It's like you go from your honeymoon to Ikea. It's just the, the plane from the airport, or the, the, the transit from the airport just takes you right to Ikea, and you start looking at things. Uh, so in Ikea, they have this one section called As Is. You guys familiar with this? Like, you can go into the As Is section. It's all these kind of broken and mangled pieces. You can get a good deal. And one day, we were walking through Ikea, and my wife was looking at it, and she goes, you know what? We're all in the As Is section. But some of us lie about it. And she just walked on, and I was like, the Tao of Natalie. That's amazing. <laughs> I was like writing that down. But this is basically what Jesus is saying. It's the broken people who find a seat at the table. Number four, people begin to work out of gratitude in the kingdom of God. Again, in the American system, you're exclusive you work hard to earn something, you hide your brokenness, and then you get your celebration. In the kingdom uh, of heaven, for, uh, however, you start with a party and everyone's invited. The broken people tend to, to show up, okay? And then because they've been to this party, they begin to work out of that, that love and that support and that community they have. They're aware of their brokenness, they're aware of their need, they're aware that Jesus has healed that and is continuing to heal that community. And because of that, out of that overflow, they begin to work out of that, as a, as a bond service, someone who's been given much, right? We have this saying we say around here all the time. We don't work towards the cross. We work from the cross. We don't work our way towards being saved. Jesus saves us, and out of gratitude, we work from that. This is the way that the kingdom works. We don't invite people to the party in order to get in. We invite people to the party because we've already been to the party, and it's amazing. Any of you guys ever seen 10 Things I Hate About You? Any 10 things I hate about you, fam? Okay, those are Christians in the room. Okay, cool. Um, so 10 things I hate about you is, I think it's still on Netflix. You guys can tell me if it's different. But um, it, it's basically this high school situation, a high school party, and these two guys who maybe aren't invited to the parties all the time get this great idea. If we invite the cool guy with us, if we bring him with us, he'll get us into the party. 
right? And so they go find Heath Ledger, the cool guy, and they're like, hey, if you come with us, we'll get into this party. We'll have a better time. We'll move up the social circle. And again, I think if you operate in the American way, you think that's the way Jesus operates. If I can just invite people and bring them with me in my life and I show up as a squad as opposed to an individual who's broken, then maybe people will let me into the party. But it actually works opposite. People come to the party and they're like, this is incredible. I got to go tell more people about it. There's free coffee. There's free cookies. uh, They have black you know, chairs, right? There's like a red stage. This is incredible. There's free air conditioning. I got to go tell everybody about this. And out of a sense of gratitude, you invite everybody with you to the party. People work from gratitude that they receive at the party. And here's the really interesting thing about that whole deal. It's the people who've been to the party who are aware of their brokenness who for some reason in the kingdom of God tend to have the greatest influence. Have you ever noticed that? If you can think back on Christians in your life who've maybe impacted you, people who are church people, probably if you think about it, these aren't perfect people. These are not people who just have great Instagram profiles and maybe they're the coolest kids or the kids in that weird clique or the kids or whatever. They're probably people, if you think about it, people who look a little more like this. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it, like how is it that these kind of people tend to be disproportionately influential in the kingdom of God relative to these people here? And here's the reason why. When you get Jesus inside of you, and this light is going to represent Jesus, this is truth coming inside of you. When you get Jesus inside of you, but you paint yourself up all the time. Can we get the lights here, Alec? Okay. Can y'all see anything in here? Yeah. Well, this is what happens. Okay. You put light inside of you, but you paint yourself up. No one can see that. No one knows there's a difference. No one knows what's going on. But now, let me show you this. Yeah, y'all are like, I would buy that on Etsy. Yeah. (laughs) That's going to light up my bathroom later. Okay. Listen, don't miss this. The reason broken people tend to be so disproportionately influential in the kingdom, the reason people who are aware of their brokenness and who lean into that are so influential in the kingdom is not because they're amazing. It's because they know Jesus who is amazing And he shines through their cracks in their lives. And people see this and they're drawn to it because most of us who are broken are walking in the darkness. We've painted ourselves. We don't know what's going on. And when we see somebody who's lit up like this in a good way, we go, what is it you got? I got to go be where you go. What are you doing Tuesday nights? I can make it, right? Wherever you go for your life group, for your thing, whatever is giving you this light, I got to be a part of that. It's the broken people who find a place, and out of gratitude, they influence others about that. Let me give you guys a really clear illustration of this. I want to ask my friend Bree to come up and share a little bit about her story. Bree, are you here? There she is. Come on up. Go ahead and grab this microphone here. Will you guys welcome Bree to the stage? I feel like we should have theme music for you. I apologize about that. Okay. Yeah. All right. We can test that out. Hello. Okay. Bree, can you just share a little bit about your story? This is Bree, by the way. Bree is one of our, are you hosting? Is that what you're doing? Yes. Okay. Bree's one of our hosts. Just has an incredible story. And I wanted to tell it, but rather than me tell it, I wanted to have Bree just share it with you. So, Bree, go ahead. My story starts about five and a half years ago when we lost my dad. Twelve days later, I lost my best friend to brain cancer. 
I was in a broken place, a dark place. I shut the world out. I shut God out. About three years ago, my mom started working for a man named Bob Newsom. Every day he would ask and invite us to church. We said no. About a year ago, something made me say yes. I don't know what it was. Never will know what it was. But we said yes. And am I glad we are, so we said yes. That Sunday, something clicked. I had the best experience I possibly could have had. The following Tuesday, I got to come join the table. I was welcomed with open arms, and I felt at home. From that on, I started hosting, I was baptized, and I found a place where I could be. When I turned my back on God, he didn't turn his back on me. Bree, thanks. That was awesome. Hey, you can keep that. Uh, uh, as a just as a special moment, because this is Bree getting up and sharing her testimony in front of all these people, I asked Bob and Amy Newsom, who she mentioned, to be here. Bob and Amy, are you guys in the back? I can't see where we are. Okay, Bob and Amy, right here. So I just want to make sure I say this. Bob and Amy, you guys are perfect people, right? There's no brokenness in you ever. Okay, Bob and Amy, normal people, love Jesus, broken, let Jesus shine through them. And here's what they did. Alec, can we get to the lights again? This is Bob and Amy, right? Just live in where they go. Bob starts a business, hires people, lets Jesus influence the way he does things. Amy just supports Bob, uh, works on staff here, serves on students and women's ministry. Just, they just love people and let the light shine through them and their brokenness and everything. And then Bree comes along, and she sees the lights. And because of Bob and Amy, this is Bree today. Why is it the broken people are the ones who seem to disproportionately have influence in the kingdom of God? Because they're the ones who are aware of it and they don't hide from it. And instead they let Jesus shine through it. And they're the ones who go, oh my goodness, I can't believe all these people keep coming with me wherever I go. I'm just, I'm just an atheist from East Texas who doesn't like to party. How are all these people showing up? I don't get this. I, I'm, I'm just a broken person. How are all these people showing up around me? Because Jesus is in you. And he's able to shine through. Thank you to Bree. Can we give Bree a round of applause again? Thank you. Thanks so much. So here's where this all comes to. It's the key habit I want us to take away from this. Because you may be here today going, that sounds really good. I catch that vision. This is the way the kingdom operates. I'd love to be around this. What do I do with all of this? There's one key habit. If you will adopt it today. There's one key thing. That if you'll begin to integrate it into your life, if you'll begin to prioritize it, not just say, I like that, but begin to, to, before God, consider how you might implement this in your life. It's this habit right here, and it's in your bulletin on the screen. It's you begin to bless out of your brokenness. You begin to bless out of your brokenness. Meaning, you come to go, hey, Jesus, before you, I recognize I'm broken in a number of areas, but I'm going to... Instead of someone who's hiding that, I'm going to try to bless others out of this. If you can use me as a broken object, I'm willing to bless out of my brokenness. Or, to use some other words, you begin to minister out of your messiness. Maybe you're someone who's here and you're like, I know what my mess is. Okay, I'm a messy person. I got messiness all over here. But Jesus, if you can use this, I'm willing to minister out of my messiness. Or maybe you can think about it with this. You begin to invite out of your imperfections. I'll give you mine real quick. I am someone who is, um, struggles with just arrogance and overconfidence. Uh, and a lot of this manifests from the fact that I'm insecure 
uh, if you really ask me uh, about uh, my ability to hang with a crowd or to know people. And sometimes the way that comes out is I feel the need to be smarter than everybody. I grew up in a home where my dad is super brilliant. He's a lawyer. And if I wasn't smart enough to keep up with him, he would bully me and he would run over our whole family. So I learned very quickly to, to think quickly and to articulate quickly and to talk. And so it seeps its way into all of my conversation. And if you're ever around me, you know that one of my chief flaws, and I'm looking at people on staff, one of my chief flaws is I can be condescending and I can be kind of gruff uh, and I can uh, appeal to sarcasm way too much. Fair? Fair, Brit? Yeah, okay, right. I'll pay you later, thank you. Right? No, so that, that's the thing. And I don't even know it. I can just come across as just really domineering and condescending. And I do that because I'm insecure. Because I think if I'm not smart enough, you guys won't like me. If I don't keep up with you, if I don't know everything about the thing that you know, that somehow you're not going to like me. And I am completely aware that I have this brokenness here. But by God's grace, every day, he is working on me to bring healing in me and through me. And part of the way he does that is he shines his light into the people I meet. And they see, man, this guy, Doug, I bet he doesn't like to party because he is just a, an arrogant jerk of a person. But you know what? There's something in him. He's got the spark of something. And I don't think it's him. I think it's something beyond him. And it is. It's Jesus. He works through me. The thing you can best learn to do here today is learn how to bless out of your brokenness. Here's what I want to do to kind of close things here, close this message time. I want to ask Jason and the band to come up, and they're going to play a song here. But for about 60 seconds, I just want to facilitate a time for you to meditate on what we just said here. And here's maybe how I want to direct your meditation. Maybe you're here today, and the first thing you got to do if you're going to be someone who blesses out of your brokenness is you've got to become aware of your brokenness. Maybe you've been living this life for far too long, and you don't know what's going on in you. You haven't really done a self-inventory and go, hey, where am I maybe falling short of things that maybe I shouldn't be falling short of? Maybe for the next 60 seconds, the way you want to think and meditate is just to ask God this question. God, can you just shine a light on me and just show me my broken areas? And could you just give me confidence to know that I don't have to hide my brokenness anymore? Maybe that's the first thing. Maybe what you need to do here today, and, and this could be you, maybe you're aware of your brokenness and your prayer needs to be with boldness. Jesus, if it's possible, I heard what that guy said and I heard what the Bible said, but maybe I can bless people out of my brokenness. I can minister out of my messiness. I can invite people out of my own insecurity and my imperfections. And maybe you just need to pray that bold prayer to Jesus here today. And maybe that's what you're thinking about. Or maybe you're someone who's here today and you don't know what it means to follow Jesus any more than you know what it means to follow directions. And you're sitting around going, I don't know what that means. And so maybe your prayer to God for the first time is to go, God, what does it really mean to follow you? Because I think this life sounds pretty good, but to start that, I got to follow you in the first place. So you could show me what that, could you please show me what that means? However you need to respond, take 60 seconds to respond where you are. The lights will come down low. And then after 60 seconds, Jason and Keanu will lead us in a song.